You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello there. In this podcast, I, comedian Stuart Goldsmith, get into the heads and minds and hearts of my fellow comedians and find out how they do their thing, how they write their material, how they develop their personas, and in the case of today's guest, how they cope with a life after enormous stardom. So let's have the music, please. Welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith, and this is the Comedian's Comedian podcast. My guest today is Janine Garofalo. I could not believe that I managed to bag Janine. She is, I mean, depending on when you grew up, uh, she is either a massive celebrity kind of Hollywood icon of the, uh, the. I mean, what, what are we, not millennials, it's millennials now, isn't it? Generation X. She was an icon of Generation X, and she was in some very famous uh, movies and uh, got typecast, as we will hear, as someone who represented that whole spirit of a generation. Um, she is also, and has always been, a phenomenal stand-up comedian. You only need to look at her first HBO special online to see her, apparently, and it turns out in this episode, we'll talk about it, taking notes on stage for her first HBO special. Um, we're going to ask her in detail about that very deliberate approach to non-deliberateness, to uh, a sort of a, a very loose, structure-free kind of a style. Um, I really, really enjoyed talking to Janine. I think you're going to enjoy it too. Um, so let's get on with this and I'll chat to you again in the middle. This is Janine Garofalo. Well, actually, haven't you always noticed, have we started? Yeah. Um, that that uh, this, in, in, in my experience, the type of comics that I don't find very funny will tell you how funny they are. And then the type of comics that, that I feel are very, very good are the last people to say that. Now, having said that, I'm not putting myself in that category. <laughs> of like, I'm so good and I'd never say it. I, I'm not. I'm just saying I have uh, noticed that those with the most bravado tend to, just in my taste, does, it doesn't happen to be my taste in, yes. in performer. And... Um, or even like Albert Brooks, or, or a, a very funny a performer, filmmaker, who hates his movies, or Woody Allen. Um, and let's take all the p- politics away from Woody Allen, and just I, I see him as a national treasure. And his personal life, this always gets people in trouble. I'm, I'm dealing with just the person sure. who I've been a huge fan of as the components as, of the artistic of the artistic yeah, person. Right. And you know, be that as it may. Uh, he, he hates his work. Do you know what I mean? And I find him to be brilliant. Even his bad stuff 
because he does a film a year, every year, and has since like 1972 or 73. Uh, even the bad ones are often better than a lot of other people's yes. movies because they're more thoughtful. There's not gratuitous violence. You know what I mean? There's, there, there does tend to be a meditation in some films on violence and, and a lot of it on doing away with a partner you no longer are interested mm-hmm. in, which is interesting. I think he's been working through something for mm-hmm. years. But um, I, I, he, he is notoriously um, self-loathing and notoriously hates his work. And then you'll read articles about some directors or filmmakers, and, and I think their stuff is just mainstream crap. Yeah. And they, they're just... Well, like, I really I, nailed it in that one. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they confuse a volume of ticket sales mm-hmm. with quality. Or in the, the same way with the Grammys, the American Music uh, Grammys. Uh, when you win a Grammy, it just means you've sold a lot of albums. It very rarely means that you're particularly good. Now, sometimes it happens despite the Grammys. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, of course, of course. But, uh, but for the most part, it's, it's very mainstream, uh, very popular yes. performers. Something happens, uh, we're currently at the Edinburgh Festival, and right. one of the things that will happen over the next few weeks is that some people will get four- and five-star reviews. They'll splash right. them on their poster... And by the final week of the festival, one or two shows will have 10 five-star reviews. Right. And it's easy to look at that and think, oh, they've got 50 stars. Right. No, it's not a 50-star show. Ten different people thought it was a five-star show. Right, <laughs> right, right. Do you know what I mean? It's but similar. I also, I, I, have, I, I don't like to look at reviews because it hurts my feelings. It, you know, criticism does not roll off my back at okay. all. I, That's I, very I, honest. It, 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 it hurts me terribly. Sure. And uh, especially sometimes when you're reviewed and the person has missed misunderstood you completely. And, of course, nothing is more powerful than a fixed idea. Once that person states that you meant this or that you are this, that's, that's really the way it is once it appears in the press. And there, a lot of times people want to tell you about the bad review. And I am a fan of Kill the Messenger. Uh, you know, they, <laughs> yeah, I, I really blame them more than even okay. the person that wrote. I can't stand. Well, I just thought you'd think it was funny. No, I don't. I don't think that's funny that the person said A, B, and C about me. Sure. You know, that, I, that has always bothered me. And I don't. And now it's almost a sport, a snarky review. It, it's almost a competition between reviewers to to, to, to say draw the most blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a very strange thing. So I I try and stay clear of it. Who has got you the most wrong? In terms of your oh reviews. my gosh, so so many, so so many what, over the years. What sentiment was the furthest away from what you were actually trying to? Um, well, actually, you know what? Something is interesting in in a magazine that's out here um, about the festival, and it has um, shows to see. It like picks a handful mm-hmm. of shows, and and unbeknownst to me, I was picked, and unbeknownst to me, you know, and it, it was it, that person. I think mis- is, has mistaken me for another person. What they, <laughs> what they said, it, uh, it was absolutely antithetical to anything I've ever said, and not me. And, and they even said one thing. Uh, one of the first sentences was, self-professed, self-professed Botox fan. Now, I'm agnostic about Botox. I'm fine with it. I'm not gonna, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I'm not going to criticize someone for getting it, and, and okay. I have had it in my forehead. Uh, it doesn't really work that well. I, I'm fine with it. Okay. I have never taken a stand on Botox. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. insofar as that anybody, especially in this country, would would pick that up. And then it said, and was also papped, which I found out means a paparazzi sure. picture, was also papped showing off her fuller lips. That's absolutely not true. I have never had anything, and, and you, you looking at my mouth yes, can see I'm... that clearly, if I was going to have something done, they would not look like this. If I was going to spend... <laughs> I mean, they, they, do you know what I mean? And I have never had a pop... 
a paparazzi. I don't know what that. I don't know yes. who that person is talking about. You know, the about. worst aspect of that is self-professed. That's yes. one of the things, like. Like that is just taking so much kind mm-hmm. of empowerment away from you. Go well. This person, right. as we know, constantly talks about self-professed. <laughs> and actually, they weren't being mean-spirited. There was nothing vitriolic sure, okay. per se about this. Go see this person. Now, having read that little blurb, I would never go see me. Yeah, there is nothing about anything of interest. A self-professed Botox man who was showing off my fake lips, which just isn't true, in a paparazzi picture in this country. I don't know what they're talking about. And and you can never you can never convince someone that that's right. You always seem like you're being defensive. Yes. Or, you have to look through the rest of the, the ones to watch that that person's written and gone, have they substituted? You've got to see but if I you don't can know. discover I, I, yourself. I'm not familiar with the <laughs> other, uh, with the other <laughs> comics. Uh, I'm ashamed to say. I, just, I don't know them personally. But that one was the weirdest thing. And it is also... Uh, there was not one thing that would make a thinking person go, I'm going to go see that performer. So that was, that, I mean, on the one hand, I was thankful they picked me, but I do think that they think I'm someone else. Because I don't know who, and I was trying to think, who is it? Somebody with a similar the name. The festival to work it out. Yeah, I guess so. But, uh, <laughs> it's the Gruffalo game. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also a thing called the Gruffalo. Yeah, 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 of course. A children's, a huge uh, a Gruffalo. I didn't yeah. know about that. But uh, that's interesting. I guess it's, I've got to be honest with you, as a toddler, as I mentioned, the Gruffalo mm-hmm. is a big part of the life yeah. of my toddler and the life of toddlers up and down the country. And a friend of mine suggested a few days ago, when you interview Janine, you should, as a joke, uh, pretend that you have misunderstood and that she yeah, is yeah. the actual Gruffalo. Well, <laughs> that actually would conduct. be fine with me, but I would, get, I would know what you were doing because I, I saw on the posters there's a Gruffalo. <laughs> or I might say, I think you're thinking of Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, right. Who, gotcha. as, an, uh, as an actor with yeah. a name almost, I guess if you combined us, that would yes. be the most because I'm Garofalo and he's Ruf, Ruffalo. Yeah. So that could stay. See, isn't this fascinating? All right, <laughs> okay. fascinating podcasty. So let's get to the heart of your your stand up performance, which uh-huh. I came and saw a couple of nights ago, and which was fantastic. I've never seen oh, you live thanks. before, and for the benefit of people in the UK who are less familiar with you as a stand up, which would be most people. I mean, I wouldn't expect people to be familiar with me at all, but I, but especially as a stand up. I mean, I've I've. Very rarely performed in. I, I think people in the UK would know you from uh, the nineties. The nineties, the nineties, from being a sort of a, 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 a reluctant or otherwise flag, whatever the word is, flag bearer mm-hmm. for Generation X. Which also I am not. I'm the talent yeah. of the baby boomers. I, I'm 54, and uh, <laughs> in Reality Bites, which maybe is where that started. I happening, think so. Yeah. Um, which is a quote unquote Gen X film. Um, everyone else was 21. I was 29. So I've actually, I've never been Gen X. That's another thing. And also, I think some, another thing in the States anyway, where used to be, I find problematic. People used to confuse me with some of the characters I was cast as. My first acting job was the Larry Sanders show Uh with the great late Gary Shandling. And um, I was asked to play a real person because a lot of the characters were based on people that worked at the David Letterman show. Mm -hmm. And... One of the people who Paula, my character, was asked to mimic was a person who worked backstage at Letterman. Now, this person, I guess, was pretty surly and taciturn and not very nice to everybody. So from that first job, I guess I must have done it pretty well because then I kept getting jobs to play a similar person. And I wasn't smart enough to figure out, oh, you're going to get typecast. And, And I... And and it's not me. I mean, I, I don't behave in that manner. I don't behave in the way that that person in uh, Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion <laughs> behaves or, you know, any of the things. And also a person that looks like me 
because it, it's just stupid. You know, people make decisions on, how, on what you look like. And when, um, I, I, you know, when I was getting cast in movies, I was um, had I wasn't classically attractive. Um, and I'm still not. But I'm just saying that uh, decisions are made for you. You look like this, so you will play this kind of person. Okay. And I didn't realize that if you keep doing it over and over again, then that, then that's again, that's who you are. A, yes. And and for you, it was what it was kind of the quirky best friend of the female, or lead. cynical, or cynical yeah. best friend who is not particularly attractive and is real mad about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that kind sure. of thing. And actually, the first big studio film I was in was a retelling of Cyrano. Yes. It's called The Truth, Truth About Cats, Cats and Dogs. And dogs yeah. So apparently, I'm so hideous. I must hide my identity. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember feeling badly about it, but being thrilled somebody wanted to cast me in, in a yeah. film. You know, so I, these dueling um, issues, I felt sad that, oh, I, I must be... Because they even said to me, you're perfect for this. A person who looks so... Is so upset about their or not, No, I'm not upset about yeah. it. I, I, others clearly sure. are upset about it. <laughs> so I hide my identity. Now, having said that, it, I'm not complaining about... This profession, it is elective. We choose to do it, so and no one makes you do it. So to complain about it is really fool's errand because it's it's. Uh, so, but I can only tell you these things in 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 your query to get to know me. If, if and again, listeners, I'm not saying that's interesting. He asked. <laughs> I did not. I did not presume I would be interesting. So you're, were you doing stand-up already at the time you were getting yes, cast? Yes, uh, I actually started doing stand-up when I was 19. I didn't start acting until I was 27, which is okay. it's quite late, actually, you know, in, in, in youth culture. Yes. But I started doing stand-up my junior year of college. Um, I was at Providence College in Rhode Island. And, um, and I, I didn't seek to become an actor. It's not that I would have minded it. You know, some people say, I never want, you know, I just tripped and fell into show business. (laughs) It's one of the biggest lies. And also, there's this fake story sometimes you hear about, um, I only entered that beauty uh, competition, somebody else sent my pictures in, or it was on a dare, or or I auditioned for such and such on a dare. Bullshit. Nobody yeah. does that. And take- That's the very beginnings of the current kind of Instagram culture of, mm-hmm. oh, I just accidentally look amazing it's, all the time. It, it's, yeah. it's ridiculous. And there's no there's no shame in admitting, mm. uh, you know, I would never say, boy, was I mad when somebody offered me an acting job. And no, you don't do stand-up and, and move to Los Angeles, where I lived. Uh, I lived in, in West Hollywood for about three years. Um, and you don't do that so that you can perform in a vacuum. It's ridiculous to think, you know what, uh, and I'll admit it, I'm a ham. I'm a ham bone. Um, and I think a personality type of most people that go into stand-up anyway is narcissism mixed with self-loathing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a need for attention and yet you feel you don't deserve it. Or some, at least at least that, that's how I feel. I feel uh, clearly there must be some narcissism to say, hey, look at me. Listen to me. I should be seen. Now, in modern culture... Everybody can do that. With mm-hmm. you know, when I started doing stand up, that was not the case. There was not the social media and all of that stuff. And you know, your goal was was to get on the Johnny Carson show, and then you would blow up. You, you know what I mean? It, it only took a couple of TV shows to to become a famous comic back then. Yes. And now you can do it in many ways, and it's now everything's very niche. You know what I mean? Like there's so so much fame doled out mm-hmm. along among so many yes. modern technologies. Um, I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Well, I, I, I confuse myself. I, and also, I must tell you, and this is, a, and I may have mentioned it at the show, I am I'm, I'm going through a change of life that yes. makes me, I cannot concentrate. 
I'm so sorry about that. So Not I will keep all. talking until you rein me in. I had learnt the words perimenopausal two weeks before seeing really? your show because a friend of mine was talking about it. Yes, yes I'm actually. And I looked it up. I'm, I'm post peri, okay. and I hate talking about stuff like that. I really do. I feel it's corny, and 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 a lot a lot of times, unfortunately, people still do see comedy by gender. It's unfortunate. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a female comic. I'm a comic. Cool. I happen to be female. And so when you talk about things like menopause, then some sometimes it's like, oh, boy, here we go. Yeah, it's... Well, that and that's why I said, see it as gender neutral, that I'm sure, saying sure, this. Sure, sure, sure. That's, that's something that I don't know if you are seeing uh, many other shows at this festival. I or, haven't or yet. Generally, but there is a really exciting kind of uh, movement. Not even a movement. It's just that there are so many more female comics now. Yes. And with mm-hmm. that has come this whole wave of people going, why the fuck can't I talk about my menstrual cycle? Well, you why can. The fuck you can. Can. Talk about masturbating as a woman. Oh, you, you without actually, it being like a big thing that it's a woman talking about. No, no, and it, you can, and I think it's fine. I do think there's a problem. This transcends gender, both male and female. If you're going to talk about these things, let's up our game linguistically. Let's. This is well-worn territory, you know, especially for the younger comics. And I don't blame them; they're younger. And when I was younger, I'm sure what I talked about dating is and sex and stuff. Now I never used a lot of profanity. Sure, uh, I probably did more when I was younger. Now, luckily, there's not a lot of footage because it wasn't a surveillance society back then, so you could fail privately. You can't really do that anymore. But I have noticed a lot of younger comics, male and female, use a lot of, of, of uh, profane words for their private parts mm-hmm. and for sexual congress. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if you're going to do that, talk about these things. Like I said, there's well-worn territory. I think you've got to find an interesting way to convey these things. Um, I think... And again, this transcends gender because there's plenty of male and female comics that talk about it and talk about it in hacky ways and talk about it in very uh, vulgar ways. Yeah. Um, and I think it's less interesting. Now, the, the, the issues I have with male and female ghettoizing is, has nothing to do with some, the topics sometimes that they choose. It's just that I think that a lot of people still in modern culture, uh, and they don't even mean it, they'll say... Uh, Female comic, or they'll have a shows where it's all women comics. Now, there's no reason to point that out. Yeah. You know, there's no reason on the flyer to say that. And unfortunately, females do it to themselves sometimes, not all, but some ghettoize themselves. And every once in a while, you'll be asked to participate in a show that's all female. And I will only do it if it doesn't point out that fact. Yeah. Do, do you know what yeah, I'm saying? So, totally yes. Like on the flyer, when it says, uh, all women show are like five funny ladies. Yeah. Now, they never do it. Five white guys. You know, you'll never see that. Or you know what I mean? Like there's no reason to point out gender or skin color or anything like that unless there's a reason to do so, mm-hmm. uh, which usually there is not because that is what makes audience members sometimes think they do or don't like certain comics or comedy types. Like, oh, I don't want to go see a female. I don't want to go see a black comic. You know what I mean? It's because, first of all, they're not very involved to say that. But secondly, there, I understand the reason sometimes unevolved people say that is because mm-hmm. of the way things are labeled or yes. the flyers. Yes, so much of the relationship between the, the comedy industry and the audience, the, or potential audience, is just about how we frame things. Right. We tell them how it's going to be, right, and they right. go, oh, it's like this, is it? Right, right. Yeah. And, and a lot of times, uh, if you do stand up the way that I do, um, which is not a conscious choice. It's just, you know, your style chooses you, especially when you've been doing it so very long. And mm-hmm. I've been doing it a very, very long time. And I tried a little bit at the beginning to have actual jokes, but I, it didn't suit me. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't, it's just not my thing, and I'm not a strong joke writer. I, I, I prefer to, to have a much more free, uh, open 
style of doing stand-up, to, that, that it's not locked down what it is, and, and that each audience sees something slightly different anyway. Not, not everything's different, but something, you know, something so that each person has seen a different show than the next person. And, and that's a, a value-neutral statement. I'm not saying that like it's noble or a brag. I'm just saying that happens to be the style I do it. Now, that is hit or miss, um, because there are certain audience members that don't understand that's not how they think a comedy show is. That's not what yes, they've been led like to. Yes, it looks like you're failing to do a proper one. Right, and unfortunately, I can, they'll, I can convince them of it, too. That's my fault. There, there's <laughs> times where I will say, oh, that's not going well, is it? And even if they didn't think that, they will believe me. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so I have to stop doing that. And also I have to just, that's, this is just the way I do stand Now, luckily, after all these years, there are uh, enough people that know what they're getting. But... Every once in a while, there's people that are utterly confused or angry. Confused and angry, I guess that would be (laughs) the the expression on their face and their arms are folded. It's like they don't understand. You know, it's like 20 minutes in to the hour and they still haven't heard a proper joke. Now, hopefully, my goal is to not entertain you. You know what I mean? My goal is to not not be funny. Sure. But I just don't have a disciplined system and as you saw you know I try and lay out the notes and stuff like I put them on a bench and um, and then a lot of times I don't even look at it or I look at it and I'm not even seeing it So this is Janine. She's an absolute hoot to talk to. I loved her show at the Edinburgh Festival and um, just enjoyed this incredible scatterbrain approach to having a like a board with a bunch of ideas on it and barely getting to any of them. I found it just enthralling and I really, really laughed and laughed. She was one of those comics who I could feel myself. Oh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, you'll be uh, watching a comedy show and if you're me, you'll be loving it and fidgeting. And checking your watch, even though you love it. Didn't do that at all with Janine. And uh, if anything, she's one of those few comics I really felt I could have listened to a good couple of hours more. I I just absolutely loved it. If you ever get the chance to see her do live stand-up, then um, please don't miss out on that. It does remind me as well, I just as a, as a separate thing, I, I mentioned, I think, last week, Sam Campbell's show in Soho. I actually checked my watch halfway through it to see if I could cope with laughing that hard for another half an hour. So that's like the other side of the, the scale. I don't know if Sam Campbell is still at Soho, um, but he's from Australia. So uh, if you're in Australia, maybe you'll get the chance to see him before anyone in the UK will. So back to Janine. More of this uh, conversation in just a moment. We're going to cover um, we're going to cover her uh, her opinions about TV and the way. Look at this for a perspective. We all think I was having this conversation with someone the other night. We as comics, all it's all God. God, I want the next thing. I want the next thing. And I'm forever saying on this podcast, even the people who've got the next thing want the next thing. And it's fascinating to hear uh, what Janine has to say about the sausage factory of American crime drama and how these episodic shows that require a huge number of actors kind of find rich pickings among people who formerly had a huge movie profile and how painful it is perhaps to be one of those people when you know that your most high profile work or or best paying work or perhaps best creatively satisfying within that sphere to know that that work is no, I'm not going to say it's behind you, but to know that it isn't Um, at your fingertips in the way that perhaps once it was. So loads more great stuff coming up from Janine in just a second. Quick mention for the tour. Uh, Last week I released the the tour dates for the mini tour in spring 2019, the tour this year. 
uh, is separated into two sections on account of the new girl arriving uh, in currently T-minus two and a half weeks. So um, there is all of that information at comedianscomedian.com slash tour. If you would like to get some of the extras from this show, uh, you can go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. Everyone in the Insiders Club uh, has the opportunity to access the private Insiders Club podcast with all of the extras from any show on this podcast that's ever had extras, not to mention a wealth of other projects and exciting things besides, and access to a sort of workspace slash forum slash app I'm going to call it the Hall of Legends. Why not? Um, And uh, it's basically a place that uh, I can, and and I'm very grateful to everyone in that uh, workspace at the moment. We've been uh, discussing strategy for a big change that's going to come to the podcast very soon. So uh, if you'd like to be part of that, comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to sign up with a monthly donation of £2 or whatever else, whatever other value uh, to which you would Ascribe. I've used that sentence the wrong way around, but I'm leaving it in. Um, let's hear more from Janine Garuffalo. When I started looking back at some of your clips on YouTube, I saw your oh, HBO God, special. <gasps> the HBO special from, I think, 95, oh. where, and I don't know if it was your first or only, I don't know how many... What was I, do you know. recall what I was wearing? I, I remember the background was orange and you had notes. Yeah, I've always had notes since the beginning. You had notes in your yeah. HBO special. That absolutely and blew my that's mind. that's so weird when people criticised it, too. That actually was heavily criticised at okay. the time A who cares you know it's, it's weird what people well for me the statement was enormous to it, walk out on stage there's a thing mm-hmm. I've, I've mentioned on the podcast before when I, I was at um, uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival mm-hmm. last year and I saw uh, their kind of best of American yeah. showcase and uh, there were some fantastic comics on it uh, Beth Stelling was one of them mm-hmm. and uh, Beth came on as a lot of them did and put her phone down and would frequently oh, go I've back and that. check the, the check kids their use phone. the phones. Yeah, they use and the that's phones. the equivalent of like you're looking at the timing right. and you're looking at the notes. Right. And I remember thinking at the time, and maybe I spoke about this on the show, it was, as well as being a really practical thing, it also has a theatrical effect, which mm-hmm. is to kind of say to the audience, I'm just some person. But I'm actually, I wasn't. I promise stuff. you, it's not a statement. And e- okay, even okay. It, and part of it what was like criticized, I promise you, it isn't. <laughs> I, and, and, and you don't know me well enough. Uh, that, that you need to trust me, but I I, I, I I can only ask sincerely that you take me at my word. I will. I, I, I promise you, uh, so many of the things that uh, I have done in stand-up uh, have been uh, accused of being thought out or, or shtick or, or contrived. Yeah, I understand, yeah. And I promise you, I... I, I and again, your listeners, nor you have any reason to believe me, but I, I, I'm, I actually am getting choked up as I'm saying this because it, that's what, how, when you're misunderstood that way, yeah. uh, and again, when, and I would prefer to be well-liked. I know I shouldn't be that concerned about it, but it's once somebody writes it down or codifies it, that's who you are. And over the years, there's been many snarky comments made uh, about my notes or, or the way I dress, like, she thinks she's so cool. No, I, I, in fact, I don't think I'm even remotely cool. There's nothing, and especially at my age, it doesn't wear well. That's a young man's game now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you, your audience can't see me, but obviously I'm dressed in a way that doesn't uh, match up with my age, and it's, it's uh, the way I've been dressing, as you know, if you've seen footage, sure. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And even back then, people were like, oh, she thinks she... And uh, my first HBO special, I think, uh, there was a half hour and an hour one, um, 
and I wore just what I wear because yeah. I don't believe, I, I don't feel comfortable putting a nice outfit on to do stand up because then what I'm not me. What a weird me. thing to do if I'm you not think about me. it. Yeah, absolutely. Or let's like my take this clothes. Let's take this person who yeah. is the the job of a comedian is to be oneself. Yeah. Oh, you're going on TV now, so it's a lot of makeup yes. and we've got to tidy and you up. And hair and stuff like that. And the fight it was uh, and early on I never won the fight of not having makeup. Uh, they made me do it and I didn't stand my ground. Now I stand my ground on it. Now, it doesn't look good, especially with HD. And that's why I never look at stuff. But <laughs> HD is a scourge. It's a scourge. There is no need for that kind of clarity. Uh, truly. Yeah, it's truly. That is, that is ridiculous for people. It's just, no, you don't need it. And it makes things look weird and uncanny. Yes. It makes me feel well, I, uncomfortable. And if you're watching a drama in HD, it just looks look like you're cheap. watching actors walking around a set. It looks cheap. Yeah, you've it got, looks, to put, got to put it on cinema mode so it's less good. It's, it, <laughs> exactly. And, you know, there is now people using filters to take away that, you know, yes. there's, in, in, in their work. And I understand that. It looks shitty. It looks cheap. Midsummer Murders, when they switched over. Yes, Midsummer Murders, I said. <laughs> um, there is, in a lot of the Brit crime shows yeah. that I love to watch in, on PBS and here just on regular TV, okay. There's a switch. There's a notable switch of the film look and the HD, mm-hmm. and it looks like shit. The, you know what I mean? It looks cheap now. It, it looks like amateur actors on video uh, or rehearsals that you're looking at. It's Do you know really what I'm saying? Weird. I'm not criticizing the actors or the, or the sure, sure. It's not their fault. It's, it's, a, it's a visual thing. Anyway, where were we? Oh, back to the notes. It, it, that you even thought it was a statement. I mean, I, I, I can only say that it's... I can't even remember what I'm talking about. And now as I'm older, it's even worse because of the thing I mentioned earlier, the word I don't want to say again, the change of life. But I've never had a a mind that can remember things. And also, I will talk about stuff, even in specials, uh, televised specials. I I have talked about stuff that I've never said before. Now that's, again... Not bragging. That's just a fact. So I will write it on that piece of paper. I like that about it. You know what I mean? Like I want, that's how I, as a audience member, what I like when I see a performer is if I believe them, if I believe that, oh, I, yeah, I I think that moment was actually, that's interesting. Or I, you know, that I, I, I I don't mind really polished ones either. You know, George Carlin, one of my all time favorite comedians since childhood, my older brother, um, that's how I got interested in stand-up is my older brother's comedy albums and my parents also. My brother had uh, George Carlin albums and Cheech and Chong mm. and, of course, Steve Martin. Everybody had those. And my parents had Nichols and May and Bob and Ray albums, and I would listen to them as a kid, you know, the way you would listen to music. Mm. And again, in the 70s, that wasn't unusual. It, it, it was even the late 60s. People think, that's weird, but comedy albums were quite a thing back then that you played on your record player and you would listen to them over and over. And then George Carlin, I had a lifelong love of him. I was under the impression he was more spontaneous. And I went and watched him workshop his shows for a week at the, com- at the comedy store in Los Angeles. I got tickets for every single night to watch him workshop. And I realized very quickly, oh, there's nothing that isn't nailed down. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't know that. Now, having said that, I don't love that. But I was going to say, was that a I don't, disappointment? I wasn't. I was, you know, he even would, and, and again, please understand that I have great respect and admiration for George, the late George Carlin. I am not in any way criticizing him. I'm saying for me as a viewer, when I learned how nailed down it was, I was like, oh, because he really does make it see. And then he even, on each workshop night, would look at the same place for an alleged where a heckle might come or something. Yeah, okay. I didn't like that, but I love him. And Stuart Lee is my favorite comic mm-hmm. of all time, Stuart Lee. Oh, my God. I could watch him 
over and over and over. And now I, I think he right, he's got it nailed. I think, yes. you know, there's, I believe that he is a, I don't know this for sure, but he seems to be a very, very disciplined, the exact opposite of me. Have as you a read, comic. Have you read his? I've uh, read all of his books. Oh, yeah, yes, okay. I have. So you can see how nailed down yes. it is, even if not, if it's a transcription yep. rather than a script. But his right. notes certainly suggest yes. at this point I would wait for four seconds until, you know. And yet, I, I love him as much as anything. And also, one of his special, and I love Stuart Lee's comedy project, that, yep. that show. I, and I also love when I think he and Chris Morris are actually laughing for real. Like I like yes. to see the, the, the very real. last interview when he's he's laughing, going, "This is this." Yes, yes, this yes, yes. This. And he's almost crying. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, they're yeah. laughing. I love that. Absolutely. When, and Chris Morris, uh, Morris, to and the the day today is one of the greatest comedy parody shows I've ever seen in my life. And um, some some British com- I'm I'm an Anglophile. I'm, yeah, I'm a that, huge Anglophile. That's quite unusual amongst American comics because something that comes up on the show on this show is um, I talk to American comics. So what do you think of British comedy? And they go, Well, you know, Monty Python. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, and then you should say, You know what? Do your homework. Yeah. Yeah, well, or that's just first of all, Monty Python, fantastic. Doesn't hold up. Sure. Really, yeah. it doesn't. Yeah. But I yeah. love I love them. I I and Michael Palin. I have had a crush on. Uh, here's since since. I was a child. Actually, my first crush that I still have, unironically, since the late 60s, Mike Nesmith of the Monkees. Unironically, I okay. love the Monkees. And I think Nesmith is, is a Scottish name. Because uh, I was walking through the graveyard at Greyfriars, and there was a number of yes, Nesmiths, well but with a Y or something, like spelled okay. slightly different. Yeah, it sounds and, like not Smith. That sounds it, like quite a Scottish Right, right. Thing I, so I think Mike <laughs> yeah. Nesmith of the Monkees, whose mother invented whiteout, like mm. the paper. Yes. Um, I'm I so glad I wouldn't have been able to not mention that. I'm so glad you mentioned it. I know, it's a fascinating. <laughs> but um, I have had a crush on him and Michael Palin okay. uh, a little bit after, you know, because it wasn't the late 60s. The first time I saw Monty Python on PBS, it was probably the early 70s. And Michael Palin had, have had a crush on the two of them. And I have for years wanted to see Mike Nesmith in concert. And it's never worked out. He, uh, when I've been traveling abroad, and he's been, sometimes he's been touring where I am, and it's just hasn't worked out. I finally got tickets to see him at the Beacon Theater one week before I came here, and he collapsed on stage, unfortunately, in the afternoon, and the show was canceled. I do. Uh. I hope he's fine. I, I, so I finally was going to see Mike Nesmith, and uh, I believe he's ill, I, and I hope he's okay. But. Um, See what I mean about just talking and talking in circles? That just well, went, listen, yeah, I mean, you can edit it. The, the show, I'm not going to touch you it. You can edit yeah. it. <laughs> I can, but I won't. The, um, oh, it's sort the of the sh- Alan Partridge too. I'm Alan, Steve yes. Coogan yeah, yeah. and the Fast Show, yeah. which doesn't hold up when you get older, but I okay. still love it. And that's why I watch Father Brown, which I don't love, but that guy from uh, yeah, from okay. the Fast Show. Uh, and and Catherine Tate, I think, is fantastic. I think Tracy Ullman's fantastic. I think uh, she doesn't get enough credit uh-huh. Uh, Tracy Ullman, because I think a lot of people think she's too mainstream. I don't want to give her. She's phenomenal. Yeah, she's very, very good. And uh, Catherine Tate is very good. And there's a number. There's so much good British comedy. Now, Dad's Army and Are You Being Served and Hello, Hello, and some of the others, are, which is so unfortunate that PBS picks those up. It's such okay. a bummer. Because yeah. it's like, that is not the best. Of, and I don't know who's making these decisions. And also over the years, Coronation Street... And EastEnders has always been on PBS since I was a child. Okay. So I'm as excited as anyone that EastEnders is starting from scratch at noon today. Yep. It's actually already started on, um, it's either, I think on yesterday. Okay. It's start, uh, drama. starting from the beginning. Starting today, from the beginning. Okay. And okay. actually, I, I, I remember as a kid, especially when I was homesick from school, 
actually, uh, Coronation Street's uh, opening, like, it reminds me of being homesick at school. But PBS picks the weirdest things to bring what, to what Americans. Is it, what is it about something like uh, Chris Morris, for example? Specificity and intelligence, if that's what that you're about to ask Spe- Specificity, <laughs> intelligence, and that they don't spoon-feed you anything. Yes. He, he is working at the top of his intelligence, as is every Dune McKinnon, all of, you know, all of them. And actually, I, uh, Smack the Pony should have been better than it was, I think. It, I think it's very good, but I, I think that it doesn't hold up, actually, after a while. But um, I, I respect all of those people very much. And every single person on the day today, and that's a big cast, mm-hmm. f- working at the top of their intelligence. And every episode is a gem, a treasure. And I have watched over and over and over again, each one, and laugh just as hard, just like Arrested Development. You can yeah. watch it again and again and again, and it gets funnier and funnier because of every little tiny detail. Yes. And Steve Coogan, too. Coogan's Run. Um, yeah. I'm Alan Partridge. You really know your oh stuff. Oh, my God. I, I, I'm, because these are artists at work. Now, I'm not an artist. I'm a, a person who does stand-up and tries to act sometimes. Uh, these people are artists. And I think there's a big difference. When I was talking about narcissism and self-loathing, you know, you've heard that myth, a lot of comedians so sad, their childhood's so tragic. That's just not true. In the aggregate, no more or less than any other human being in any walk of life, Mm -hmm. in any job. But it just seems, and especially when people like Robin Williams um, pass away and... Although he, he, he did struggle with depression, but also he w- had an illness and he made a decision mm-hmm. uh, t- to do what he did. He also probably wasn't thinking clearly with his medication and stuff. But he, now he is a perfect example of need. Need, the need. And I really like him. And he was a very nice, very funny, much funnier guy offstage. I was never a fan of his stand-up, okay. I have to say. Uh, but I am a fan of him and offstage really funny. Subtle, quiet. Do you know what I mean? Like it, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Subtle and quiet. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 a pleasure to be around. Uh, you know what I mean? It, his stand-up just was never my taste. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I do think he was a wonderful actor, a wonderful actor. And actually, when he's sad, he and Bill Murray, nobody captures sad on film, yeah. I think, as well um, as, as, oh, and Stellan Sarsgaard in River. Okay. Oh, my God. If you haven't seen River, see it. You're welcome. But uh, Robin Williams, when he needs to be sad, or Bill Murray, like in Rushmore, when he's defeated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they have that in them, and they also have that gregarious personality with a need to be popular and well-liked and okay. all of that. Bill Murray, I don't know for sure. Actually, I, I love him, too. I think he's fantastic. Great actor also. Um, but anyway, the, the nurse, oh, my God. I'm Not sorry. Even- I'm getting to a point. I did not have a sad childhood. In fact, I had, uh, it was just very, it was, it was a non-event. You know what I mean? I had great parents okay. who actually loved us too much. That's the, and my parents treated me like I hung the moon. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I could do no wrong. And actually, and I was a straight C student. Good for you. You know what I mean? Like they, they unfortunately, they, they uh, raised a quitter. You know what I mean? Like a person who's like, no, no, thanks. Uh, I, I, I don't, I, the only things I've ever stuck to ever is stand-up comedy, smoking, um, honestly, and I don't mean that to be sarcastic, um, and and my love of of all things British Anglo comedy. Okay, you know what I mean. Like I, yeah. from ch- you know childhood, I loved it too. Um, Any hoozle, I think I'm always seeking that unconditional approval that my parents always gave me. 
you know what I mean? Like, so it's the opposite of what some people think it is. It's like, uh, I was not neglected, quite the opposite. And I never wanted for anything. My parents busted their ass for us. Sure. And, and yet you still became a stand-up and, and, uh, yeah, and, and they weren't thrilled about it. You know what I mean? Actually, my mom passed away when I was young, but my, and my dad's wife, lovely, lovely woman. They, my dad wasn't thrilled that I wanted to be a comic, um, but he's, loves, he loves me. You know what I mean? And he, and he, he supports me. Now, then, luckily, it worked out for me. You know what I mean? Especially in the 90s. So he was pleased that it worked out, although he still doesn't understand why people would pay me to do what I do. He is not, is not a huge fan of my comedy, and he is not a huge, he doesn't love many of the films I've been in. You know, he, he doesn't watch TV and stuff. He just, um, he, and the only films he's ever liked that I know about are James Bond films. Okay. And, that's but about he's happy it. that you're happy. Oh, he's happy that I'm happy. That's what I'm saying. He's 81 now. He's 81. Okay. Um, my mom would have loved it. You know what I mean? Like, she, she died when I was 15. But um, I never doubted for a second I was loved. You know what I mean? And, and my mom knew that I loved her. And, and my dad's wife, I love her. She loves me. Uh, you know what I mean? There's, uh, there's five of us all together with the step-siblings and all of that. And um, because my biological parents and, and step-parent grew up poor... Um, they overdid it with, uh, my, both my parents were raised in the Bronx, but they were first generation. My father's parents are from Italy and my mother's parents from Northern Ireland. And, um, that, and that sounds weird, but I'm old enough and my parents are old enough that that is not unusual that, yeah, that sure. they would have been. And they settled in the Italian and Irish neighborhood in the Bronx. And then my parents, because of Catholicism, mm-hmm. it's very common in the tri-state sure. in New York, New Jersey, in that area. There's so many 50-50s, you know what I mean? So many Irish yes. uh, spawn of Irish and Italian marriages in the 60s, 50s, 60s. And, uh, and it kind of has trailed off. Okay. But um, because they were Catholic, the Irish and the Italian families, and they would tend to live in neighborhoods next to each other and go to the same churches. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I'm one of many half and halfsies. And actually, I did my, I may have said it on stage, uh, I did my, um, what's that ancestry thing? Where you, oh, yeah. I'm 54% Irish, which is weird. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Because I don't know how that's possible, but that's yeah. how it came up. Because my dad's side is totally from Italy. You know what yeah. I mean? And so it was, it's 54% Irish. And, yeah. and then the rest is, is, is basically like 49% of the time. Then there's a hint of a hint of Greek in there. Okay. I don't know so, how much stock to set by those DNAs. But I, I don't know. I am only going by what sure, they said. But sure, I, sure. I was like, in the pie, you know, because it's not a bunch of different things. It's, yeah. it's uh, what yeah, I thought yeah. it was. It was halvesies, halvesies. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I think I do stand up. Uh, and actually, once you fall into acting, if you're lucky enough, and I, and I was lucky enough to, to, to get jobs, you miss it when it dries up. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And it's not like I... Was a huge like I you know and unfortunately I was not a good okay. actor back then I have become I think better uh, and I have done plays I have tried to learn more about doing it and I I didn't know I was what I was doing back then and I was too young and dumb and I wasn't that young but for me young and drunk all the time to to work on it or to mm. try and do roles that showed that I could do something were different. you were you in, in not working, why were you successful if you weren't as good as you as you think you could have been? What, because show business is lazy. It's yeah. lazy. And they're you like, that's I mean? that face, and we've got that face. It, it, and we're it's it's easy, right? Oh, this back then, uh, I, I just got lucky. Uh, I really do. I got a ton of opportunities, not all of which I deserved. Mm-hmm. 
Now I get almost no opportunities, some of which I think I deserve. And I'm not talking about give me a job. I don't think I, I'm not asking for anything other than an audition Mm -hmm. or that you give me a chance to show that I'm not this one thing you thought I was from a long time ago. And I've done, like I said, I've done plays last summer. I was on Broadway with Lily Taylor in a play called Marvin's Room. And I learned so much from her. And I wish so much I, what I know now uh, that I can apply to acting. I wish I had thought about it more, been smarter about it, and, and, and worked harder. You know what I mean? I, 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 it's, I squandered so many opportunities. That is 100% my fault. I'm not saying poor me. I just wish that uh, entertainment, quote-unquote, wasn't as lazy as it is. Like every job. It, it's no different probably than most jobs. Mm-hmm. Let's just hire this person other people seem to have. You know, I mean? that's how it happened in the 90s. Like, oh, she was on this film. Let's. It, and I never had to audition back then. I, okay. I'm not joking. It was like, I would have uh, wardrobe fittings for the next film while I was still shooting another film. It seems preposterous now to think that because now it, it's just preposterous. Mm-hmm. But I had a run from like 91 to about 2001 of like nonstop. Films, not all of which were big, but a lot of them were big studio films. I haven't been in a studio film since Ratatouille, and that was a voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the rest of the films I've been in have been independent films, like I said, that no one ever sees. Uh, and I've been on Criminal Minds, 24, The West Wing, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. You know, it's, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Uh, Criminal Minds and, and Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce... That is, those were not right for me. That is not yeah. my kind of thing, being on those shows. And I have been offered, like most women of a certain age who aren't in film anymore, mm-hmm. all those crime procedurals mm-hmm. or medical procedurals or legal procedurals on network television that can suck my dick. Pardon the vulgarity. <laughs> but Because it's always for, like, the tough but fair... Sure. You know, district attorney. And, or yeah, the, and that is, I mean, those, those, they must be, you must be hitting them away with a stick, right? They, oh, well, like, most women my age who people think are pigeonholed and who aren't in film anymore get those offers. It's not unusual. Sure. Uh, And also every New York actor, myself included in the world, has been on Law & Order at some point in some fashion. There's not one who in the 28 years that it's been on, there's no New York actors who have not been on Law & Order at one time or another. But I was on a Criminal Minds spinoff, Criminal Minds Suspect Behavior. Okay. And luckily it was canceled after one season where I was, a, of course, a profiler of some kind. I was Forrest Whitaker's partner. Okay. And I did it because Forrest Whitaker was doing it. I thought, this is going to be good. I was absolutely wrong about that. Forrest Whitaker was upset as well, but I mean, <laughs> it was just shit. It okay. was just violence and misogyny and not one. There was not one. It was just making sausage. What's the relationship between your stand-up self and the control that you have as a stand-up about everything you do, everything yeah. you say, everything, the way you present yourself, you can take your notes on, do... That's such, such control. It makes acting hard. It Does makes it? it? Unless... Like, I just did a movie before coming here in Chicago called Come As You Are, where it was bliss. That happens sometimes, like any job. Sometimes good, bad, or different. You, you know, you, the people are great. The director seems to know what they're doing, even a first-time director. Because a lot of these independent films, you have a first-time director. I don't know why they're directing, unless they just want to say, I'm a director, and somehow they have enough money to make a film, you know what I mean? Or their family or friends do. Sure. And they just blew their parents' nest egg, and I feel it's a tragedy. Because they they don't seem to know what they're doing. And then every once in a while, like just happened with this Mm -hmm. movie, Come As You Are, the director was utterly prepared, storyboard, and you feel like, okay. And it's heaven. 
and everybody's great and it's fun. Um, and now whether anyone sees this film or not, that's fine. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. it was great. And I think, I think, I think I'm pleased with the work I did in it. And then there's a whole bunch of others that if no one ever sees them, it doesn't matter, but they were fun to do, or you learned something, or you met yeah. somebody that's a friend. But the painful thing is, in mainstream stuff, like Criminal Minds, Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, I hate every second of it. You have no control whatsoever. You are a hired hand. And then you go, why me then? Why me? And, and also, it's not like I think I'm so great, but when it's a collaboration, like the Larry Sanders show, the Ben Stiller show, West Wing, yeah. and now, when I said collaboration, you wouldn't change a word of that dialogue. They aren't sure. talking that. That's all great. But they let you feel you have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. I hate phrases like that, but I just did it. Where they do, they are open to you or writing towards you. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever your particular strengths are, what mm-hmm. have you. Then there are shows like 24 or Criminal Minds or Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce where the writing is the last thing anybody's thinking about. And now, having said that, 24 is probably a little bit better than cr- Criminal Minds. <laughs> but the guy, I'm, I'm who, so happy but the guy who runs it, the guy who runs it is a right-wing douchebag, sure. Joel Cernow. Yeah. Um, now, I think the reason it's as good as this is because Kiefer's so good. Yeah. I think he elevates what could be a not so good. And also, it was never supposed to last that long. It, it was good the first season because that's an exciting premise, right? Yes. 20, I was on season six. Yeah. How many days in a row are we going to go here you know, where nobody goes to the bathroom or sleeps or changes their clothes? Sure. But, Having said that, no offense to anyone on it, and one of my closest friends, Mary Lynn Rice Cub, who's Chloe is on yes. it, and we had a wonderful time, and, and Reese Coiro. I had a great time, actually. But you have no control over it. And Criminal Minds, you have no... All they care about in some of these shit shows where they're just making sausage, what the wardrobe looks like, especially what the women look like, hair and makeup, yeah. wardrobe, making sure they don't look bad. That's the number one concern of those shows, is that... And then, as you know, you've looked at them... The hair is like glass, and the makeup's ridiculous. It takes you, it, tell, it tells you that it's not serious. It does. It tells you that artists are not at work here. I'm not. I'm not blaming the the actors. What it is is people who are justifying covering their nut financially. They got kids in private school. They have mortgages. Yeah. Okay. And so nobody's rocking the boat. You're writing. You're making sausage because it makes money. When you're making sausage, when do you <laughs> see? I don't. <laughs> sounds, and see, it's it hard for me because I don't have kids mouth. or a mortgage. Okay. Now, when I was successful in the '90s, I didn't buy anything. I'm serious. I was fiscally prudent. Uh, I, I had a hunch. It doesn't last forever, and mm-hmm. it doesn't. I didn't buy anything. I'm financially okay. I don't mm-hmm. have children. I don't have a mortgage. I don't buy a lot of things. I live in an apartment that I own, a one-bedroom apartment. That's it. I don't have a car. So I don't have to do shit like that. But you want to work, right? You want to you yes. live. And, you wanna, and when you take yourself that. to those jobs, are you giving it your A game I am, I am on bringing, day 50? I, well, I... I try very, very hard. Now, having said that, I get defeated and I cry like a baby. Man, I, on shows like that, I will cry every day, probably oh, at some point. Now, I'm not saying feel sorry for me. I'm just saying this is the reality of it. Sure. And then uh, on Saturday Night Live, which can be great and bad, mm-hmm. good years, bad years. I happen to be on a bad year. That defeat was there. Criminal Minds, that defeat was there. Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce, that defeat was there. And on all three shows, I asked to leave early. They hate that when you do that. Yeah. They hate that. And either they will or they won't. Now, Lauren luckily let me go because he, I wasn't bringing anything to the table. There was no reason to... The, the cast was vast that year. There was no reason to have me. Uh, I don't even know why I w- was asked to do it. Um, it, it was not and right And that was another me. one. You didn't audition for that? They asked no, you? No, no. Well, actually, I auditioned the you? first time when I was 25. Okay. And I didn't get it. And I guess 
you know, many years later after I was already, quote unquote, successful, Mm -hmm. then they just asked me to do it. And my boyfriend at the time, Bob Odenkirk, Mm -hmm. who's from Better Call Saul Mm -hmm. and... uh, and other things, and Mr. Show with Bob yes. and David, yes, one of the David, greatest David comedy shows. On the show one of the well. greatest comedy shows yeah, ever. It's incredible. Mr. Show with Bob and David is up there, I think, with any of the other ones I, I mentioned in the yeah. pantheon of great shows. And Bob Odenkirk had just left there as a writer and said, "Don't do it. You're not going to like it." It's uh, he says, "Just not. You're not going to like it." I should have listened to him. I should have stayed at the Gar- at, at the Larry Sanders show. Gary was kind enough to let me go because he's a nice man. And the first day I got there, I knew it was no- it was wrong. It was just a feeling. And I had read an article that Catherine O'Hara, the wonderful Catherine O'Hara from SCTV, one of the other greatest comedy series in the world, um, was there for one day and left. And I, I, it hit it went in my mind that, that article I had read a yes. long, long time ago, because this was much before I got there. And I remember thinking, I should go. I should go. And I called my agent, and he, of course dramatically said, your career will be over, you, you can't leave. So I stayed, and I was writing on commercial parodies. That's what uh-huh. I went early. It was fun enough, um, and I, I, I really enjoyed writing those with Kevin Nealon and others. And then we shot some commercial parodies, and I remember laughing and laughing. And then when we got into the lead-up for the new season, I was like, gosh, I'm not finding any of this stuff funny, and nobody seems to find me very funny. You know what I mean? Like, it was okay. this clash. And... What I realized very quickly is if you say things like, I think we can make this better or do this, you're an asshole. Uh, and I probably was abrasive. I, you know, I, Looking back, I, I, I guess I didn't know it was wrong to say stuff like that because that's the way we spoke at the Ben Stiller show and in stand-up comedy. That's how okay, you speak to each yes. other. People aren't shy about yeah. when you work together or when you're writing sketches and you know other writing things I've done. There's never been any preciousness about... The way yeah, you speak. because they come because you're all you're all dying all the time, right? And you don't have time, you know what I mean? And also, yeah. you you feel that you're good enough friends, and and I guess maybe I brought that way of speaking, mm. which I didn't know was verboten, um, or or you're not supposed to admit that some of the stuff is shit that's getting on the air. I think that's what it is. You're not supposed okay. to point out that maybe we can do better, myself included. So I was I was persona non grata, like I, I was disliked, and and like I said, I'm sure it was abrasive. Yeah, and also, okay. I used to drink very heavily. I don't anymore. I haven't had a drink since 2001. But uh, I'm sure, in the, you know, I had uh, alcohol in my office in the drawer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as it happens when you're there for a lot of... I'm, I'm sure I started drinking in the afternoon. In fact, I'm, I'm more than sure. I did. I drank all the time in the afternoon. Uh, and I remember thinking it was kind of glamorous. In my, you know, <laughs> I mean, and back then, you could smoke in your office, too. And I remember yeah. loving that. I, I had an office with a desk that looked over, you know, I mean, New York City, and the windows open. I had an ashtray, and I would have scotch. You know, what I mean, and I remember thinking that was like really cool. And were you producing good work whilst drinking? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, after I gave up, no. Uh, I think while I was trying, I believe it was good enough, and that if people would have worked with me, it could have been better. Okay. But I became a person nobody wanted to work with, and it, it's. It, and I'm not saying it's like that every year. In fact, I've heard it's really fun sometimes. And when Tina Fey was head writer, I heard it was really fun. Mm-hmm. And when my friend Amy Poehler was there, she loved it. Fred Armisen, loved, you know what I mean? Like I said, with any show that's been on 40 years, there's going to be good times and bad times. And it happened to be a particularly chaotic time because the head writer was going through a bad divorce. And he's a very nice guy, but he wasn't there a lot. So it was like a free-for-all. Yeah. And it became like Lord of the Flies. Um, and... 
There was too many of us. There's no need to have 15, 16 cast members and 25 writers. It's just yeah. stupid. You know, when it first came on, that was eight cast members who were also writers, maybe a couple of other writers. That's all you need. And that's why it, when it's bad, it's bad. You know what I mean? If you could pare it down, and I realized very quickly, they don't need me, first of all, and I am never going to be able to fit into this machine that I'm not well-liked, and I'm hating myself. So I asked to leave, and he let me go early. Nobody ever believes that. They think you're fired. Mm -hmm. And, and of course, that's the law. You know what I mean? Like, nobody would ever leave. You've been fired. I left Girlfriend's Guide early, I let, uh, and... The written thing is that I was fired. That's just not true. Mm -hmm. And actually, who gives a shit? You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's a show probably none of your listeners have ever heard of or seen. And these things, everything's, every, every molehill is made into a mountain. Yeah. Now, that's not just show business. That's every business. Sure. I, I mean, you've seen, every, any business in the world makes mountains. That's just people in business Corporate mountains out of molehills. That that's, just happens all the time, but it's more public and entertainment. Yes. And so it's just, and you know how journalists will just say what they believe to be true. She was fired. I was not fired. Again, I can only t ask you to take me at my word. Um, I was not fired from Criminal Minds, and I was not fired from Girlfriend's Guide. Because also people can't believe it. Well, because I think, they tend to have children and mortgages and things yes, like that. Yes, and also I suppose if you're a stand-up and you have this other uh -huh. career path whereby you are your own boss, mm -hmm. it must be very difficult to be in a situation where you're, you A, have a boss and B, disagree with them. Right, I don't mind having a boss. You know what I mean? Like there's times, like I said, like on West Wing and stuff, I wouldn't change, it's heaven. Yeah. And or there's times where you work on things where it's like, Yes, I can learn from you. I'm, I'm here. You know what I mean? Like, I am 100% committed to doing the best job I can, and I am totally open to what you need to tell me. Mm. But when, when, and I think I've got a good bullshit detector, and I think I, I'm, not, I'm not very very bright academically, but I do feel I have an emotional intelligence and I have taste. Uh, you know what I mean? When it comes to TV, you know, mm -hmm. shows, writing, I do feel I have taste. And I can, anybody, just watch Criminal Minds. I mean, you, you've seen it, sure. right? Now, if you were to see Criminal Minds suspect of behavior, dial that down. Like, make <laughs> okay. it even okay. worse, right? It, okay. It's, so I, I'm not, like, talking out of my asshole here. It's, it's like any, anybody with any standards whatsoever would say, boy, we can do better. Yeah. You know, we're here anyway. We've got all the equipment. You know what I mean? Like, we're, here we're here 12 anyway. hours a day anyway. And sometimes I would say that. Like, we're here anyway. Mm. Let's do it better. And, and also, on Criminal Minds, when I asked to leave, now, they were very petty. They wouldn't let me leave, but they made it miserable for me mm. while I stayed. And then the very last episode, my character was shot in the head, tied to a chair, I was overjoyed. Now, they thought that was, that'll show her. <laughs> I was so happy. I could never return. I was so happy. Um, and, and at that point, it looked like the show was going to get picked up. So I was like, that's the best thing that ever happened to me. I don't have to come back to this fucking show. And then it got canceled. But they thought they were really, like, uh, teaching me a lesson by shooting my character in the head. And also, when I left Girlfriend's Guide, the writer... Uh, showrunner would put things in that were very nasty about my character as mm -hmm. a petty way mm -hmm. to, you know what I mean? It's just like, who cares? And then, of course, then they replaced my character with another character who so many people have in the States don't even know it's not me. Like, that that's how yeah. little these things matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? And um, now, having said that, I wouldn't like it if somebody... Uh, said, uh, you're writing a shit, but guess what? People have said that to me all the time, and I don't hold it against them. There have yeah. been, uh, my whole life, and I'm sure yours too, 
people have come up to your face. Now, things you've write, written and submitted or your stand-up. And it's so weird to me that others take, you know what I mean, take, it's so weird. And I've, uh, and you've probably seen this, the bigger the hack the more precious they are about their writing or their words. Have you, or, sure, or the yeah, more sensitive yeah, I can identify that. And, yeah, the, yeah. and the better the writer, the more like, they're open to, like, like yeah, Gary Shandling or stuff. stuff like, I'm going to have more great like, ideas and, and you know, if it's not <laughs> a good idea, they're not going to use it. But the thing is, is yeah. they know that good ideas can come from anywhere, but yeah. they're confident enough and comfortable enough in their own skin. But the biggest hacks are always the ones who are the most hypersensitive about changing anything or if you even seem critical at all. You know what I mean? Like, or they take, like, if you say, can we try this? They take it as a criticism as opposed to, well, let's see. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, and, yeah. and like Gary Shandling, what he was great at is making everybody feel you're part of it. And you'll get the best work out of people when you do that. And, and, but having said that, there have been, through my whole career, people say, I don't like that, that's shit, or that sucked. I don't take it, you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I have not ever held it against them. Mm. Or I've never had a memo or a meeting or, like, you know what I mean? Like you, it, but that's what happens sometimes um, in some of these shows or the, in these network type worlds. But they're allowed to be douchebags, mm. if that makes sense. Mm, yes, yes. I see what you mean because they, they have the status, which implies yeah. that they're right. You know, this is part of my job. Is I've got to be tough, right? They, Whereas you, as the right. performer, on and what is prized most in these worlds is obedience, not your character or not what you can bring to the table or not who you are. Because there's plenty of actors on these shows that are obedient as fuck and they treat the crew like shit mm-hmm. and they treat people like shit. Do you know what I mean? But that is, that's fine. That's fine. Um, and I have never in my life been a, I'm not coming out of my trailer, although uh, the Criminal Minds people pretended I did when they, uh, because they're assholes. Uh, just to be petty, uh, they pretended that I... Uh, yeah, okay. Did stuff like that. Yeah. Now, in the little we know each other, can you imagine me ever saying, no, I'm not coming out of my trailer, or I don't like this outfit? Never. I could give a shit about wardrobe. What I care about is the words on the page. And you are allowed to throw fits, apparently, from what I've seen, about your clothes, about your hair, about your makeup, um, or about your food. But you can't about the writing. Because... That would take a lot to fix, but they can fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They can okay. fix your outfit. When it when it comes to the the craft of your 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 craft as an actor, are there? I don't really have a craft. Oh, I don't really on. have a craft. I mean, I'm I'm an actor, but I don't feel I have a craft. But I have, like I said, from Lily Taylor, from working with Lily Taylor, wonderful actress, on in on in this play, and from doing plays with the new group in New York, you learn a great deal because you are actually. In the, you're always in the, you know what I mean? I feel like, I, I feel like I have it in me to be quite good. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, and believe me, I, I also have it in me to be horrible. And, and I have been, and it's, there's film evidence of it. But I have it in me to be quite good. Unfortunately, that's what I meant earlier about, I don't have access to opportunity anymore. Um, once you're considered a has-been, it's, it's treated like a contagion. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like anybody who was, in your peer group at the time when you were famous, they are the last people to give you an opportunity. Where the opportunities come right? from is people who grew up what, yeah, younger okay. people. I, it's a strange thing, and, and I'm, I'm speculating, but I, it seems to be true. And again, don't miss, I'm not saying poor me. This is an elective profession. Um, but those in my peer group who 
were in the studio films with me or, or, or at the time in the 90s, they aren't really the one, because there's a has-been-ness to me. I fully admit that. Okay. Uh, there's a has- and they're and they, worried that they, they, no, 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 they don't, they don't want a part of it in their production. So. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, does that make sense? And, yeah. I, and I understand it, actually. Yeah. I understand it. <laughs> but the jobs I've gotten, the opportunities I've gotten have come from the generation behind me yes. who, in the way that I love Catherine O'Hara or in the way that I grew up uh, worshipping certain things, they don't see it as... It's not a husband thing to them. You know what yes, I mean? Like yes, in these, yes. In these things you, have, you, have you read um, Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman? No, I haven't. Ah, uh, it's funny. You're the writer of uh, <clears throat> Princess Bride and Marathon Man and the Bush casting and so on. Um, he talks about... It's an incredibly... It was very kind of groundbreaking at the time. He was a writer in Hollywood who yeah. won Academy Awards and yet was kind of dishing the real story on uh-huh. what he thinks of Hollywood and celebrity and fame. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about how actors, star players are the most vulnerable people in the business because yeah. they are only as good as their last two movies. Right, and depending, so depending. everyone is kind of constantly hunted mm-hmm. and feels like they could lose, they've got it and they could just lose it. And it- well, there is a thing. I Actually, there is a, a lot of, a, a lot of um, value in being like a, like a, a working worker who stays like Elias Cote at these character actors who sure. do, are the best thing and bad thing, or great, they're just worker bees and they've yep. been at mid-level fame their entire career, they will. Ha- there is no shelf life on that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's a great position to be in. You will always work, and also you have uh, people have faith in you. They they think you are a dependable like utility player. Yep, that's probably the best position to be in. But um, there are plenty of A list actors who have had a bunch of bombs, but it doesn't affect anything. Male. females have a much shorter shelf I was life. Just going to ask. Um, yeah. that's just the nature of mainstream entertainment. And again, you don't like it, don't do it. For a living. That is just the nature. That is never going to change. Uh, until we change the human condition, we are never going to change the idea that younger, better looking... There's always a new girl, and, and it really upset me when Martin Scorsese said that once, sincerely. And I love Martin Scorsese, but he was talking about The Departed. Mm. And he was talking about casting the one... Oh, man, the woman who was in The Departed. Formiglia, Avira... I can't pronounce. You do. Have you seen The Departed? She's the therapist woman who had a relationship with both Matt Damon and and Leo DiCaprio. She's a wonderful actress. But he was saying in the behind the scenes of it, uh, you always want a new girl. You always want a new girl. But what he's saying is, is you don't need the new guy. Uh, We just need a new because he's thinking from his mind as a male viewer. Here's a here's fresh meat. Now she's very, very good. I'm not taking that away from her, but it was it was a real shame to see that mm. um, that he said at least keep it to yourself if you're gonna, you know don't don't say it out loud even though it's abundantly clear to everybody who sees mainstream movies the men keep getting older and the women keep getting younger that are still romantically involved in them. You see, you, you're the sort of person that goes on protest marches. You're politically engaged. You're well, like any citizen. You know what yeah, I mean? Like sure. there's well, tons they, of us. There's well, millions of us who well, do I mean, that. Yeah. And an element, a really yeah. fascinating and, and very sort of evocative element of your show this year is, mm-hmm. uh, is citizenship. And you know, oh, yeah, and, and it's, <laughs> it's with a light touch, but yeah. you are actually making some decent yeah, yeah. points about citizenship. As someone who wants to change the world, as well, much it's as not the that I want to change the world, nor that I feel that I have any ability to do so, nor do I believe anybody cares what I think. But I do think you have, uh, all we have is our integrity or our personal uh, sense of justice, so on and so forth. And I feel like that applies to the work you do as an actor or even a comedian. Does it square with your vision, uh, uh, you know what I mean, with, with your ethics? 
Now, apparently that's never going to happen all the time. And if you play an assassin or something, that can be fun. You know, I mean, I'm not saying don't do that. But there are some things that I found objectionable, like with Criminal Minds. It was just misogyny. It was just younger and younger females in their underwear being killed. There's no point to it. Nobody's edified. It's not relevant. You don't have to. It's just hack, hack nonsense. And that's, that's, the, that's the deal with lots of entertainment. But, you know... Millions of people uh, are activists, you know what I mean, insofar as they care, they, they have empathy and they have, uh, they care about things. Now, especially with the, the Bush presidency and the Trump presidency, neither of those men won. Mm-hmm. That in and of itself is a huge miscarriage mm-hmm. of justice. But this is, this is dire. It's important that you're on the right side of history of these things. And it's important that you pay attention and care. Brexit is just as, and UKIP are just as critical, I think. Mm-hmm. And this is a, 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 uh, a unrestrained id that is also part of the human condition, and it's a real bummer that they get so much play and have so much power. And um, but the thing is, they don't re- represent the majority; they just don't. And that's why they have to deal in lying and theft of elections and stuff, especially in the states. Republicans have to steal to win because they don't, re- you know, they just don't represent the people. But that will also harm you. Not as much now, but during the Bush era, when there was, in the States, this uber-patriotism, this nonsense, infantile, fake notion of patriotism, which just meant shut up. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the Bush administration was destroying the world, you know, destabling the Middle East, and, mm-hmm. not only, and also trampling over what little bit of democracy America actually enjoys. They managed democracy, but Bush-Cheney we're shitting all over that. And I was very vocal about that, as were many, many people. And I also worked at Air America radio station. I took two years off from acting and stand-up, basically, to work at, with Rachel Maddow, Al Frank, and it was Mark Marin, mm-hmm. uh, and others at this unfiltered news station. Now, that really put the kibosh on my acting career. Um, right. Because I was seen as uh, trouble. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it doesn't matter. You, there's plenty of males who were far more vocal than me, didn't Brad Pitt, mm. be, you know, being one of them, Harrison Ford, uh, 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 Tim, oh, my God, uh, Susan Sarandon and Tim... Robinson. Robinson, oh, my God, I was going to say Tim Roth. Yeah. Tim Robinson. Plenty. Rob Robbins. Uh, Tim, no, well, Tim, Tim Roth from Reservoir Dogs. No, no, I think it's... And there's... there's Susan Sarandon, is it Tim Robbins, isn't it? Robin. Tim, oh, my God. Robbins. And the thing is, he co-hosted on Air America with me, but... I'm losing my mind. I'll totally do But him, <laughs> Sean Penn, uh, plenty, much more vocal than me even, and really yes. put themselves out there. Yes. Didn't affect their career yeah, at all. Yeah, right. But it certainly does because it's very easy to caught psycho, crazy, you know what I mean? And there was nothing unhinged or crazy about anything that I said or yeah. did, but it's very easy to mock and marginalize entertainers in the first place, but female entertainers for sure. So that really hindered I mean, it, it was a big slog back after those two years off. Now, luckily, West Wing was kind enough. And actually, from that Air America show is why I got the job on West Wing as Jimmy Smith's campaign manager, because mm-hmm. uh, they, they were fans of the show. So that actually worked out. But other than that, and remember when I was telling you about people saying, oh, that shit, oh, you can't believe h- how comfortable people feel coming up to you and criticizing you if you were against an illegal invasion of Iraq quite yeah. recently. Because I'm five foot one and easy to take in a, you know, yeah. people feel comfortable. Far fewer people than go up to Sean Penn. For oh, they don't say anything. Yeah, Believe me, I've right. been at, at, I was at rallies and certain things with, with people like Sean Penn. Mm-hmm. Nobody said shit to them. When I would be on my own, that's when people felt comfortably from Fox News or just random bullies with blogs 
haranguing me. And then one time I was with Rob Riggle. They said nothing to him, former Marine Rob Riggle. Mm. We were doing stand-up together. Uh, and they were bullying me, and he came up and said, is there a problem? And they scattered like little cowards. But like, it's easy to, to harass me because I'm not a fighter and, and mm-hmm. I'm easily intimidated. But um, it's also easy to, to call females who are quote-unquote activists. And I don't consider myself an activist. I'm a citizen, and I'm mm-hmm. a global citizen. I don't consider myself married to borders either. I care about what happens in other countries too, especially if my country, quote-unquote, in my name is responsible for mm-hmm. some of the destruction and, and manifestations of poverty or anything like that, um, resource mismanagement. And this is the, just the kind of talk that people hate. What I'm saying to you now, right now, I'm sure there's some listeners that are like, give it a rest, mm-hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Uh, but it, it, or that whole shut up and sing. Okay, so the Dixie Chicks aren't allowed to say anything. Why? They're tax-paying yeah, right. citizens. Yeah. So, what, so you only will take your news from plumbers? Is that what mm-hmm. you're saying to me? Is why is it that you can have an opinion? You know, but but a person, you're going to now boycott the Dixie Chicks because they are against an illegal invasion in Iraq. That tells me that you're not a serious person and you're you're a baby. So, in your role as a as a stand-up comedian in that strand of your mm-hmm. career, have you done overtly political yes. stand-up? Yes. I'm not a political comic, though. I have been labeled that, though, oddly, uh, which is a real disappointment to the audiences if that's what they think they're saying, because I am not. Sometimes I talk about it a lot, sometimes not at all. But there was a period there where I was very fired up, you know, and there was no way not to deal with it. And uh, there was times when I had to be escorted out of buildings because there is such a strain at that time. It's easy to forget it, because especially if you didn't live there of the type of lunkheads that they're like sports hooligans or UKIP type people mm-hmm. that were pro-Bush and they just, it was fun, or they're Trump type people. Mm-hmm. It's fun for them to heckle or bash liberals. Mm-hmm. And there's a, there was a real problem with people coming to my shows just to do that. And then they would also call bomb threats in and ha ha ha, like that's funny, you know, stuff like that. And there never was, but the thing is, is you have, they, you, you as the comic have to pay for the security or when the yeah. the people come. And okay. they know that. And there's a lot of right-wing websites and bullies and thugs and trolls in America. I'm sure there is here, too. Who they just, it's sport for them. But it was really ramped up against me in the Bush era. Now they've mm. picked other people to go after now. They lose interest sometimes, you know what I mean? Okay. And they pick and choose new people. But it's easier for them to go after women. Um, just, they just, I think they just find it easier. Thanks, Janine. Thank you, sir. Ah, such a pleasure to talk to Janine. Um, I don't think I mentioned it in the interview, but um, I one of the first places I discovered Janine Garofalo's work was uh, she played Baby Bowler in the movie Mystery Men. Let's revisit Mystery Men. It's so good. It's like a kind of... um, It was pre-superhero boom, and it was a bunch of ludicrous kind of real-world... So, ish superheroes, including someone who was invisible, provided you weren't looking at him, and William H. Macy as the shoveler, um, who had a gift to shovel harder and faster than anyone else with a shovel. It's really worth checking out, and you can see Janine in uh, Hollywood heyday there. So, um, thank you so much to her for coming onto the show, and um, thanks to Peter Dobbing, podcast consultant, Rob Smouton for the music, and of course, Nathan Wood for editing and uploading the show. Um, also, thank you to anyone that's left a review on iTunes. I put out a request 
we were sort of nearly at a thousand reviews and I put out a request a few weeks ago months ago maybe now um saying if you're if you're on uh, if you listen to the show through Apple podcasts but the web address still has the word iTunes in it so let's still call it that if you listen to the show via iTunes you can leave a review there you can leave a review on whatever app, but we have 900 plus. And since mentioning it, I casually looked back at it and uh, we're now over a thousand. Although you zero in on the information and it's a thousand and something total. 940 something of them are five star reviews, which is great. That means that some of them aren't. So what did I do? I immediately ordered, <laughs> organized them. You need a little drop down menu to put them in order of most critical first. And genuinely, this is so, how free from desire is this? I genuinely laughed out loud at some of the negative reviews, which isn't to say that I don't take them. Yes, it's to say that I don't take them seriously. <laughs> and um, my favourite one, what did he say? Someone, he or she said, um, decent podcast, terrible person. <laughs> that's great. Maybe that's the new T-shirt. Let's, can someone knock me up a, 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 a what's it, which, what did I say? Decent, decent podcast. That's so, oh, damning with faint praise. Decent podcast, terrible person. That's got to be a thing. That would be, that would represent some pretty sweet ownership some appropriation of that so um that's all from janine please do go to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders and sign up for two pounds a month blah 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 if you would like to access the private podcast and the extras from this episode and she also talks about um realizing or hearing that she had been actively passed on by netflix she kind of applied for a netflix special and uh, apparently they said no and and uh, here's why and she talks about that very in, in a typically janine candid kind of fashion so um i hope you will uh, enjoy those extras do remember comedianscomedian.com slash tour uh, to get your tour tickets on the go for early spring end of is a fine fine show and uh, it really does have an incredibly emotionally impactful theatrical ending the likes of which i've certainly not done before and I don't imagine anyone has. So uh, comedianscomedian.com slash tour for all that. Not for the first time. I wish I'd call the website ComCom. But ComCom.com just sounds fucking ridiculous. Anyway, it would make it quicker to talk about. So that's everything. Let's have a very quick postamble and then I shall drive to Brighton. Bye for now. I always seem to be recording these when I've got moments left before a long drive. This is because I just end up procrastinating and pushing them to the very end of the list. Hey, listen, here's a post-apple subject. Let's talk about pensions, guys. Let's talk about pensions. I finally got round to reading a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which started, it's like it's a famous American kind of financial self-help book. And like a lot of books of that ilk, the, you know, it, it sort of has a kind of a hypnotic quality. It says two or three things over and over and over and over and over again in a variety of different and occasionally sort of very similar ways um, with the intention of kind of just cracking into your head and going, there you go, I've changed the way you think. Um, it started off uh, in a very exciting way where I kind of went, oh God, yes, I've made literally no provision for the future and would like to become more financially literate. And that's a good point. And then throughout the book, it sort of became a little bit psychopathic or sort of, do you know what I mean? This sort of too, too conservative with a, a small and a large C um, for my liking, really. So this isn't a book recommendation, but what it certainly has done 
is slightly made me a bit more aware of how financially illiterate I am. And I wanted to uh, recommend a podcast to you. I've been saying this to everyone conversationally. My wife will laugh when she hears this episode because I've uh, <laughs> just, I'll be on the phone with someone going, great, let's talk about that project later. Oh, before I go, have you got a pension? <laughs> it's like I've suddenly opened my eyes to, I think what it is, is um, uh, I... As a younger person, the plan was always just somehow try and get by. I dare say I won't live very long. And apparently, you know, I'll worry about it later. That is apparently what everyone thinks. Uh, and here's a here's a lovely way of putting it. And I uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Is it Pete Matthews? It's Pete someone. Lovely voice he's got. Um, he does a podcast called Meaningful Money. And um, without having had any contact with Pete, I just found it so uh interesting to listen to so have a listen to the meaningful money podcast and um i really like it at the very least it's a, a very nice gentle relaxing conversational piece you could definitely fall asleep to it <laughs> this guy's got a lovely accent a very warm timbre to his voice but i really recommend it and um, one of the things he said was that uh, particularly kind of grabbed me he said everyone thinks that there's no point making that much provision for the future. He says, even people in their 60s, he says, if the average age, I'm paraphrasing badly here, if the average life expectancy is sort of 85, then most people, he says, who are sort of 60, 65, think, oh, I probably won't last that long. But if you think about it, if 85 is the average life expectancy, mathematically, 50% of them will live even longer than that because it's the average, it's halfway in the middle. So um, it's... It's just worth thinking about the future. Oh, you can tell I'm about to have another baby, can't you? Um, Anyway, my point is, I highly recommend that podcast. I've been really enjoying it. The other thing that I've enjoyed about it, and and some other ones as well, I was listening to one about mortgages as well, the Property Podcast. That's uh, that's really fun. Two men called Rob and Rob, who are, uh, again, just sort of very good company. They're one of those podcasts where you're like... Very few of this, actually. Very little of it applies to me at all. I really like hearing their voices. Um, what I realised is, you know, you most comedians, most people who have huge amounts of driving in their lives or a lot of travel of one sort or another, you think to yourself, I could be using all this time to learn Mandarin. And then it's been, you know, 10 years have passed and you didn't. But one thing you could do is financial literacy, right? You could actually look, these are sort of genuine real world things. It's the sort of things that don't get taught in school, like, you know, mortgages and how to, <laughs> what was that Armando Iannucci sketch? This is a, this is a tomato and this is any other vegetable and together they make an acceptable pasta sauce. Um, you don't get much real world, uh, uh, advice like that sort of uh, learning in school. Sometimes it, it feels, and actually, okay. Mandarin learning Mandarin is probably a reach, but why can't you use the endless travelling hours to learn interesting things? Because, I mean, it's so easy to sort of stay within the sphere of comedy podcasts. My other one I like is sort of American news. I'm excited in American, uh, you know, political news. Um, but there are just, I mean, God, I want to learn about, you can learn about stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. This is, this is basically the post of late have been, if not poor quality, they've been of a different flavour, which I think you could, if you listen to them all in one go, you would hear me gradually accelerate towards the birth of my second child, which is happening in about two and a half weeks now. And um, I'm getting pretty giddy. I think last time, and I, I wrote stand-up about this, that's in the album, Compared to What?, which you can find somewhere. I forget where it even is. Bandcamp, maybe. Um, 
but I wrote material about how I kind of went insane <laughs> around about just before the birth of the Boutros, my first child. Um, I just started doing DIY. Well, this, you know, in a kind of a nesting instinct. I think I've got a similar thing at the moment, but with um, uh, financial podcasts. Is that the same thing? I'm going to sort of try and line the nest with podcasts. Anyway, that'll do for now. Thanks to everyone that, that reviewed. I got slightly distracted when I was talking about that earlier on um, by some of the negative ones, but it, it did make me smile to hear myself naturally, instinctively and non-bitterly laughing out loud at some of the negative ones. That's an improvement, isn't it? Um, so thank you to everyone that has uh, shared the show, listened to the show, joined the Insiders Club, and particularly those of you in the club who have been giving me some uh, some help recently on elements of strategy. I think a, a slight gear shift is coming up with uh, the podcast. I will. I've been mentioning it for ages, but it sort of might be nearing completion. So more on that when I speak to you next. That's it. I think there's some belters coming up. I hope you enjoyed this one. She's great, wasn't she? Bye for now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 